So thanks, uh, Simon, for opening words. And I give greetings on behalf of Calvin Christian Reformed Church of Dundas, Ontario. Uh, it's kind of scary to be kind of like the last speaker of the day because I have to spend the last two days just kind of going through my notes and, okay, I can't say that. You know, <laughs> well, I better fix that, you know, and I'm going to disagree with that speaker or whatever. But uh, you know what? I look over my notes and, yeah, it's pretty much, we're, we're good to go. It's good to be here. Um, yeah, like as Rabin said, I attended Synod last year. I was a reporter for the committee that dealt with Neeland Avenue. So, uh, and I was pleased with what we accomplished uh, uh, at 2022. But I went to Synod as well this year, just as an observer. I uh, was there on Tuesday and Wednesday. I just went there just to make sure that Jason's committee wouldn't screw up everything that I had done last year. So... <laughs> So I'm speaking behind this little lectern here. Uh, I'm usually a pulpit guy. I was kind of looking forward to my pulpit, but I stood behind it earlier in the week and Marianne said, no, that's not going to work. Yeah. <laughs> I, did, I did have it once, and this is a true story. I was in Phoenix, Arizona, preaching on my, summer, or my internship, and I walked into the, the church service to preach, and I walked behind the pulpit, and I literally could not look over top of it. So I looked around and I said to the elders, kind of like, and they said, yeah, we'll fix that, we'll fix that, we'll fix that. So I'm working behind my lectern today, okay. My passage for today is Hebrews 10, verses 24 to 25. I can't see if that's on the screen or not, but uh, our illustrious person upstairs can put that up on the screen. Um, I, I, the program says I'm going to be speaking on 1 Timothy 6, verse 3, and Belgian Confession, Article 28, and Lord's Day 32. Actually, I'm not going to be addressing those extra things. Uh, those readings were suggestions to me, but I never, I never worked them into my talk. But having said that, when I looked up that, those, those readings, I thought, oh, well, they're kind of in my message anyways. But as it is, we're going to look at Hebrews 10. I'm going to read the whole passage, 19 to 25, but then we'll be focusing on verses 24 and 25. Before we do, let's come to God in a word of prayer. Let's pray. Gracious God, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your blessings. We thank you for this weekend, uh, for this week, and the things that we could talk about. Um, we pray, Father, now as we, we begin to wrap up and we pull things together, that you bless uh, our, our uh, our, our conversation together here. Bless your servant. May we grow in your grace, and may your name be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hebrews 10, 19 to 25. The apostle writes, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is his body, and since we have a great uh, priest uh, uh, over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold swervingly to the hope we profess, for we, he who has promised, is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another in all the more as you see the day approaching. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Dear friends of the Abide Project, so I'm Ken Benjamins. I'm from Dundas. Uh, I've served uh, all my 30 years of ministry uh, uh, in, in Ontario. 30 years of pastoral ministry. Actually, it's 31 years uh, this coming September. That's 31 years of pastoral care, leading worship, and preaching. There is nothing really better than my calling. I recall the first time I preached. It was actually in my mom and dad's bedroom. I remember it well. I was six years old, and I preached to my brother Jerry. He was four. And mom and dad, they had this old piano stool in their bedroom, and it made for a perfect pulpit, some, something like this, but it had the top, and you can kind of spin it, and the thing would go up, and you can spin it the other way, and you can make it go down. You can make it just the exact right height. It was a perfect pulpit. And so behind my pulpit, I would preach my fire and brimstone sermon, and my brother Jerry would sit there in the 
pew with his hand on his chin and he would nod in agreement to everything to my sermon. Too bad people don't always agree to my sermons like that. And then afterward, uh, Jerry and I would partake of the bread and we would drink from the freshie from the fridge. And that's the beginning of my preaching career. You know, some people say that kids don't belong in church. They don't understand anything, so it is said. I beg to disagree. Kids learn bright and early that preaching and sacraments, church and worship are very important. Kids do what their parents do. They mimic their parents. Church, worship, preaching was certainly very important to me and to my brother Jerry. Playing church helped shape who I am today. And so it was in my mom and dad's bedroom that I first learned how to preach. And I've been doing it ever since. And there's nothing better than to encourage God's people from his word. Nothing better than to encourage one another through God's word. I want to say that encouragement is pretty much what my passage is all about. It's the thrust of my text. Everything that comes before my text lands up on the concept of encouragement in my text, which is fitting. Uh, we, we covered a lot of stuff in the last two days, all from uh, Hebrews. Uh, Dave Fettis spoke of our need to hold fast. Dave Bosher addressed the hope we profess. Eric Van Dyken talked about how we need to hold on unswervingly. Uh, Jason Rice reminded us that the one who has promised is faithful. All good stuff. My job is just to pull it all together now. We're just going to review, pull it all together, and offer some encouragement. I'm glad to do that. It's the substance of my text. Let's look at the text. Actually, Chad, is it up on the screen there? Is the text going to go up on the screen? Yeah. Give it five minutes. It's coming. Trust me. Okay. The apostle says, uh, let us consider how we may spur one another uh, on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. The apostle begins saying, and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Spur one another on. In the Greek, the word spur there suggests inciting, uh, stimulating someone to action, to do something. That's code for encouragement. So really what the apostle is saying here is, and let us consider how we may encourage one another on towards love and good deeds. Let's not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. You, you see how uh, the concept of encouragement is like the brackets that hold the main pieces of our text together. Let us encourage one another on towards love and good deeds. Let's not give up meeting together, but let us encourage one another. Encouragement is like the warm coat that keeps it all in. And so encouragement is what I'm aiming for. And what precisely are we encouraging one another to do? Well, it's to love, practice good deeds, and meet together. It's love, good deeds, meeting together. It mentions love first. Let us consider how we may spur, encourage one another on towards love, says the apostle. So I know why he mentions that. Love is the loftiest of all Christian goals, right? Of course. Love is the first and the greatest commandment. In Matthew 22, Jesus says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Amen to that. So let's encourage one another to love. The apostle mentions good deeds 
2, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Amen to that too. Who can say that good deeds are not important? Good deeds are the proof of our love, right? Good deeds is our love in action. It's not enough just to have love in our hearts, just in our minds, or just in our insides. It's got to be expressed. It's got to show. That's what God wants from us. Note that we were actually created to do good deeds. More, we were recreated to do good deeds. Ephesians 2 verse 10, right? For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God predestined us for this. So love and good deeds is what we ought to encourage one another to do and meet together as well. I want to talk about that too in a bit. But before I do that, allow me to say what the apostle is essentially asking of us. What in short is he asking us to do? What does he want from us? What ought we to encourage one another to do simply? It's to be Christian. That's it. Be Christian. Behave and be act like Christians. Be Christian. This is not rocket science here. It's simple. Let's encourage one another on to love and good deeds because that's what Christians do. Ought we all not to aim for that? I would think so. Be Christian. Love. Let's do good deeds. Maybe it's helpful if we just focus in on some different groups of people who need a word of encouragement here. I can think of at least three groups that could use some encouragement. It's ourselves, the Abide Project. It's our families. And it's our denomination. The Abide Project, our families, and the denomination. Allow me to address each one of these groups before I get back to our text. Allow me to address um, ourselves first. Dear friends, we need to encourage ourselves as the good folk of the Abide Project to love and good deeds. Let's, let's do that. We can do that. We have to do that. After all, our work is, our calling is far from over yet. Synod 2023 made some good decisions. Synod 2022 made some good decisions. It's settled now. We officially support the historic Christian understanding of human sexuality. Praise God. Three years ago, I would not have imagined that we would pass the HSR at Senate with such a whopping majority. But we did. Praise God. This is His grace. Amen? Amen. Amen. But we have a lot more yet to do. We have to prepare for next year's Synod. We have to study the church order. We have to find ways to help the denomination remain faithful, to live in what we decided. How do we hold our minor and major assemblies to account? What does loving discipline really look like? What changes do we need to make to the church order so that, we, uh, so that our polity strengthens our commitment to the scriptures instead of undermines it? Lots to think about here. And there's more to our task than just that. We have to get on with the business of finding more ways to care for and encourage those individuals and those families who struggle with issues related to human sexuality. After all, this is where the rubber hits the road. We need to talk about this. How do we spur each other on to love and good deeds to those who feel the weight of fornication, who feel the weight of adultery, pornography, and same-sex attraction. Certainly, the Christian's calling is not simply to condemn 
people who honestly struggle with their passions. Sometimes I hear Christians do that. We disparage, we, we make fun of, we ridicule people who struggle with their sexuality. That's not Christian. If we're doing that, shame on us. We can't have that. We don't do that, do we? As the Abide Project, we don't do that. <laughs> Although a while back, someone from my area in Ontario asked me to ha- he asked to have a coffee with me, so we met at Tim Hortons. Uh, he knew that <laughs> that I was part of the steering committee of the Abide Project, and he wanted to know more about that. And so we went to the coffee shop. We talked. We chatted about the church. We talked about synod, and then we talked about the HSR, and then finally we got to be talking about the Abide Project. And he looked hesitant. So I asked him, like, so what, what are you hearing then about the Abide Project? Uh, what is your perception of us? What, what are you hearing of us out there? He was quick to answer. He said, the Abide Project is an extreme right-wing, highly fundamentalist group that is essentially homophobic. I thought to myself, wow, really? Is that who we are? Is that us? Is, is that me? What picture am I presenting of myself out there? Homophobic is not who we are. We're normal Christian Reformed folk who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, who share a robust kingdom vision and a covenant theology, who love the confessions of the church and who want to live out of the HSR because it reflects a theology that is gospel-centered and true. We are Christians who want to help people who struggle so that they can confidently walk in the ways of the Lord. We're all sinners. We're all broken in one way or another, but in Christ there is redemption. We, all, we want all people to know that. Amen? Amen. Amen. Don't we all need that? Let's get the gospel out there. We can do that. Let's go. Dear people of Abide, let's consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. A second group that is in need of some encouragement to love and good deeds is our families. When it comes to issues related to the HSR, we need to encourage our families. Allow me, allow me to be bold here. I happen to think that we are generally not very good about talking about sexuality issues in our families. We're all rather hush-hush about such stuff. Sometimes almost like Victorian or something. Sex is not something you talk about around the supper table. Of course, there are exceptions. My family, my upbringing was clearly an exception. Funny, in my home, there was no taboo subject, none. My dad loved to talk about anything that was controversial or squeamish. He loved to see our reaction to things. I recall having friends over as a kid after church on Sundays and at the dinner table, my dad would mention the word sex somehow, and my friend would look at me with big wide eyes. And I would say, don't worry, that's just my dad. Dad could be inappropriate sometimes, but what he didn't want were subjects and things that we couldn't talk about. No secrets. Let's talk. When we got older, Dad loved to have a debate about if you were allowed to sleep together before you were married. 
That's what we talked about in our home around the supper table. My dad, you see, my dad was a virgin when he got married, and he wanted us to all know that. But he was never really convinced that that was such a bad sin. He told me once that he actually went to his minister to talk about this when he was engaged to my mom. The minister was apparently quite sheepish about it, Dad asked him what was so wrong about having sex before marriage. And the minister's answer? It's like opening up your Christmas presents before Christmas Day. Dad was hardly satisfied. The the point I'm getting at here is that this is what we talked about. We talked about these things in, in our home. And I thought other homes were like that too. And I discovered that that's totally wrong. Most homes don't talk about sex at all. When I do premarital counseling, I usually give my couple something of a questionnaire with multiple choice things on there, right, to fill in. Couples have to circle the the right answer for, for the questions. And to the question, where did you get most of your knowledge about sex? I don't recall anyone ever circling the answer, parents. We don't talk about these things. And I don't think that's good. Our history in the Christian Reformed Church has not exactly been stellar here. This is how we did things in the past. In the past, you don't talk about sex. But if you get your girlfriend pregnant, you have to appear before the consistory if not the entire congregation, to confess your sin against the seventh commandment. That's how we did things in the past. Unless we still do that now, I hope not. Talk about trauma. This is not helpful. I happen to think that one of the reasons why we as a denomination have gotten caught with issues related to the HSR is because we have not learned to talk about these things. If you don't talk about sexuality, then what we tend to do is make up all kinds of assumptions about things that have absolutely no foundation. I know people in the past who were always very, very opposed to same-sex marriage, but then their son or daughter comes out of the closet and suddenly, poof, they've changed their minds. Just like that. How did, how did that happen? Well, apparently they don't really know their theology or they certainly haven't grappled with their theology, and part of that is because they've never talked about it. And so we need to talk about these things in our families. If for no other reason than that one-tenth of God's law is about these matters. We've got Ten Commandments, right? They address every area of life. One commandment, that's one-tenth, is about sex and marriage. That's the seventh commandment, right? You shall not commit adultery. That commandment assumes that marriage between a man and a woman is a good thing, and sex, which is also good, belongs inside of it. And anything that undermines God's designs for all of that is suspect it's wrong. Actually, the seventh commandment is not the only commandment that addresses that such stuff. You also get the tenth commandment. You shall not covet. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. So now we have two commandments that talk about the most vulnerable but a most very important area of life. 20% of God's law talks about sex and marriage in one way or another. And the best place to start to talk about these things is the home. And what do we talk about? Everything. What's good? What's creational about sex and marriage and attraction? What's good about attraction? Attraction's good. Attraction is good if steered appropriately. 
what's fallen, what's broken about sexuality and marriage in our culture today? What worldly forces are influencing us? How do we recognize what's unhealthy and what's dangerous, not to mention abusive? What do we see? Where do we see secrets happening when it comes to these matters? How do we avoid that? And what has Christ come to do? How does Christ transform broken sexuality? He does do that. He offers forgiveness. He offers strength. He offers a new start. Let's talk about what we've learned. Let's talk about where we've gone wrong, even as parents. We talk about that. We talk about how Christ sets us free. What did Christ do to me? We talk about that. Let's encourage our families to love and good deeds. You know, the Abide Project puts out a lot of good articles and a lot of good things. Thank you to all those who write these things, but good stuff, if I may be so encouraging. But which one's the best article lately? It's the one put out by Kathleen Copley. It's entitled A Letter to, uh, to, the, to the Culture. Kathleen is 14 years old. Way to go, Kathleen. This is encouraging. This is good. Friends, let's consider how to spur one another on to love and good deeds also in our families. Okay, and then, and then a third group that is in need of spiritual encouragement for love and good deeds is, is our denomination. We need to encourage the Christian Reformed Church. A few thoughts to share on that. I have six of them, just briefly, six of them. Number one, we must not develop an us-them mentality when it comes to our denomination. We are the denomination, and the denomination is us. We're in this together. Let's encourage everyone in that. Number two, we must encourage the denomination to live out what synod has decided. It is settled now. Two synods in a row have confirmed scriptural teaching with sizable majorities. It's time to accept that. Let's move on. We, we No need to apologize for our decisions or our positions. This is who we are. Are. Let's live out what we have decided together. Number three, let us fervently pray for our denomination. Prayer. Let's pray. It needs it. Our denomination needs it. Implementing sit-ins decisions will, ne- will not be easy. I know local churches, even in my own classes, that are hopelessly divided. Let's pray for these churches. We need to pray for the classes. Synod has tasked the church visitors of each classes to help implement the decisions of synod. I'm a church visitor. I do not see this as an easy task. Not in my classes. I covet your prayers. We need to pray for Zachary King that he may be encouraged by us. We need to pray for our agencies, for our university, and our seminary too, that they remain, that they abide in what we have decided together. Let's pray for next year's synod. Let's start praying now. We pray that synod not waffle or backtrack. Let's pray that we continue to move forward. Number four, if we need to implement accountability measures, and that may very well be necessary, If we do need to enact discipline, may we do so with firm resolve, but also with much love. Some people say that discipline is not love. That's not true. That's not reformed. That's not confessional. That's not biblical. The only reason we practice discipline is so Well, if I may just read the church order, Article 78, the purpose of admonition and discipline is to restore those who err to faithful obedience to God and to full fellowship with the congregation, add the denomination, to maintain the holiness of the church and thus to uphold God's honor. Number five, 
all of the above suggests that we observe our, our demeanor as a by, but also as a denomination. Our demeanor. When, when we talk to fellow members of the Christian Reformed Church, office bearers, delegates, pastors in the CRC, let's behave appropriately in a godly manner with much love. Love. Love and good deeds, says the apostle. 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. James 1, verse 19, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Let's encourage us all as fellow members of the Christian Reformed Church to act in love. Let's spur one another on to love and good deeds. Number six, finally, let's encourage the denomination to celebrate and to emphasize the good that we do have. We have much good. We have a great heritage. In that regard, I respectfully disagree with the title of the article in the banner entitled, Synod 2023, Incomplete and Broken. Incomplete, yes, Synod was not able to complete its agenda, but broken, not really. The vast majority of us are on the same page. We're together on this. We're confessional. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. We uphold the Bible. From that perspective, we're doing okay. So let's encourage what's good. We've got a lot of good by the grace of God. Why are we Christian Reformed? I can list a couple of reasons. Because we have a solid hermeneutic. We have a fine vision of the kingdom of God. There's not one square inch of this creation that Christ does not say, this is mine. We have a rich covenant theology. This is good. Covenant theology celebrates a robust relationship with God. By grace, we're not just friends with God. We're not living together with God before marriage or something. No, we're married with God. At baptism, the triune God gives his wedding rings to us and we respond in faith. That's why I'm Christian Reformed. We're confessional. We're nicely tied to the church of the past. And we have a means and a way to connect with churches around the world. And so we're not alone. We are part of the church Catholic. And we are compassionate. We're able to live in love. So let's do that together In this, I do agree with the banner. Chong titles his article in the banner, Begin with Compassion. Okay. Yep, we can do that. Let's do that. Let's join Chong in encouraging the denomination to do exactly that. In this, we spur the denomination as well to love and good deeds. So, those are the three groups that maybe require some special encouragement today. It's us. It's our families. It's our denomination. And now a good way to help us all with that, it's meeting together. So allow me to address that now in our text. The apostle says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let's not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching meeting together first of all when the apostle calls us to do this is he simply adding another thing that we need to do is the apostle saying let's consider how we may spur one another on towards love good deeds and meeting together? Is this just another thing we need to do as Christians? Is that how we are to understand our text? Not exactly. The NIV, which I'm using here, has two sentences here, right? In the first sentence, he talks about love and good deeds. In the second sentence, he talks about meeting together. If one didn't know better, one would think that the apostle was just listing meeting together as just another thing to do. In the Greek, however, it's not exactly that way. First of all, in the Greek, verses 24 and 25 are actually one sentence. 
And so the ESV is probably a little closer here. It translates our text this way. So listen carefully. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Did you, maybe you didn't catch that. Do you see the difference here? Put another way, the apostle is saying, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds as we meet together or while we worship together so that we may continue, on, continue to encourage one another. You, you, you follow what I'm saying? Meeting together, is the, meeting together is the means. Meeting together is the means, the mechanism God uses to encourage one another. Let's spur one another to love and good deeds by meeting together. Meeting together. It's clear that this is important. Moving on, friends, well, what, does the apostle, uh, what does the apostle mean now by meeting together? Is he just talking about meeting together like we're doing this week in the Abide Convention? Is meeting together to be understood in a wider, broader sense? Or is it to be understood in a more restricted, specific sense, like worship? Is he talking about worship here? I'm going to suggest that although the wider sense is not excluded, the thing the apostle really has in mind here is corporate worship. So really, what he's saying is, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let's not give up meeting, uh, worshiping together as some are in the habit of doing. I think worship is what the apostle has in mind here. Why? Well, first of all, the word the apostle uses here for meeting together is episynagogue. Episynagogue. You hear the word synagogue in there, and you know what a synagogue is. A synagogue is a place of worship. What he's saying is let's not give up synagoguing together. A second reason I think the apostle has corporate worship in mind here is because the context also calls for it. Worship is what Hebrews 10 as a whole is all about. In Hebrews 10, the apostle is calling us to draw near to God. Corporate worship is the place we do that. It goes without saying that meeting together for worship is extremely important. Although it's interesting that even in the early church, some were in the habit of not doing that, as you can see in the text. In that sense, there's nothing new under the sun. We see the same thing today, right? So-called Christians failing, refusing to meet together for worship when they have the ability and the freedom to do so. They say, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Well, yes, you do. Yes, you do. Sometimes people will say, where does it say in the Bible you have to go to church? Well, right here. <laughs> if you want a proof text, and actually I generally don't like proof text for everything, but if you need a proof text for going to church, here it is. Let's not give up meeting together, worshiping together as some are in the habit of doing. Some people say, well, I can grow in my faith without going to church. No, you can't. Let me be blunt here. I've been a pastor for almost 31 years now. I've been a human being for almost, no, for 59, 59 years. And I've not seen one person grow in their faith by not going to church anymore. I know not one exception. Not one. I know people who wanted to go to church but couldn't because of health reasons or whatever. They grow because they have a desire to go to church. My wife, Mary Ann, is actually one of them. Maybe most of you don't know this, but my wife was considered terminal some years back. She was palliative completely. There was a time when she missed church for over a year. 
And I recall the time, the Sunday she finally was able to come back to church. She had a special chair and there she sat in the church and all she did was she cried the whole service long. She cried the whole, I said, you you stop crying. (laughs) She cried the whole service long because she had missed something for all this time. It was so, we need to go to church. Matter of fact, failing to meet together for worship brings about serious trouble. And I don't know if you caught that in our text. Read it again. Verse 25, let's not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let's encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. As you see the day approaching. What day is the apostle referring to here? Judgment day. Failing to meet together can have serious consequences on judgment day. You can be judged for this. In that regard... I would not be doing justice to our text if I didn't say something about what follows our text. I don't know if you still have your Bibles, your own Bibles open, but if you're able to look at Hebrews 10, you can see that verse 26, the verse that follows our text, begins a new paragraph there, right? At least that's what the NIV does, and the ESV does the same thing. In the Greek, however, there is no new paragraph there. In fact, there's not even a new sentence there. That's because, according to the Greek, verse 26, the verse that follows our text, begins with the word for, which means verse 26 continues the line of thought begun in verse 25, which is in our text. So how are you supposed to read it? We're supposed to read it like this. Let's not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day of judgment approaching. For if we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God." Wow. How do you like that? Why must we go to church and encourage one another? Because if you don't, why we claim to be Christians? No sacrifice for sins is left. All we can expect is God's anger and raging fire on judgment day. We don't have to end there. (laughs) In verse 28, he adds, anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without the mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think a man deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified him, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? Wow. His point? In the Old Testament, God's punishment was for sin was severe. But in the New Testament, if we make light of the tremendous opportunity and privilege that we have to meet together and encourage one another, then God's judgment in the New Testament age is much, much, much more severe. This is no small matter. I guess the question is then, Why is this such a big deal for the apostle? Why is he so bent out of shape about this? What is so bad about not meeting together? What's so so bad? Well, allow me to explain. First of all, a quick review of Hebrews as a whole. What is Hebrews all about? Again, you recall what David Fettis said in his talk. Hebrews is the book of How much more? Everything is about how in Christ we have so much more. According to Hebrews 1, angels are pretty amazing. But how much more is Christ? Moses in the Old Testament, he was pretty cool. But how much more is Jesus Christ? Melchizedek, he was a great Old Testament priest king. But how much more is Jesus Christ? Temple worship. In the Old Testament. Now that was pretty cool. You recall the huge stone temple made by Solomon? That was awesome. 
Inside, behind the curtain, behind the great curtain was the Holy of Holies. That's where God was. Old Testament worship was involved drawing near to God at his temple. But in Christ, and this now is the point, how much more is our worship in Christ? In Christ, our worship is not at some stone Old Testament temple anymore. That, that's gone now. Our worship takes place in that temple. That's where our worship takes place. Christ has come. Christ has died in the cross. He has paid for our sin. He has risen from the dead. He's ascended into heaven. He's the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. May I have an amen, please? Amen. amen. By faith, we are engrafted into Jesus Christ. And since he's up in heaven, we're there too. This is the point of Hebrews 10. Absolutely. Hebrews 10 verse 19. We read this earlier. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is his body. Since we have a great priest over the household of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. Heaven. That's where our New Testament worship takes place. Now, when we worship Christ, when we worship in Christ, we are in God's presence. We're in Christ's presence. It may not look like it, but that's where our worship takes place anyways. We're in heaven. You have to admit that's pretty cool. This is awesome. That explains why the apostle is so bent out of shape about people neglecting to meet together. How dare you do that? How dare you refuse to draw near to God up there when he invites you to worship him there? time for me to pull this thing together. It's time to conclude my talk. Dear friends, why are we here together as the Abide Project for this Abide Convention, this Abide Week? Ultimately, why are we here? Ultimately, it's really for encouragement. We all need some encouragement. And what's the biggest way God encourages us? It's in our worship. It's in our worship. In our worship, we enter into God's presence. We hear his word. We sing our praises. We pray to him. He fills us with his spirit. In this, we encourage one another. Worship, it's so glorious. It's so important. It's so encouraging. No wonder I preached when I was six years old. No wonder we played church in my mom and dad's bedroom. It's so good. It's so important. Let's consider how we may spur one another towards love and good deeds. Let's not give up meeting, worshiping together. As some are in the habit of doing, but let's, let's encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. What a fitting way then to conclude our convention. What's next on the agenda? Worship. Now, it's true that our worship will not be an official worship service. I happen to be one of those old fuddy-duddies who still says that official worship is something that takes place under the supervision of the elders and the consistory. Well, there's no consistory here. But, gladly, since I'm not a Pharisee or a legalist, I'm very glad to say that we conclude our convention in some kind of worship. We're going to worship today. Certainly, we have enough preachers here, probably too many. <laughs> There's clearly more than just two or three gathered in his name here. And what are we going to do? We're going to do all the stuff of worship. We're going to sing and we're going to read the Bible. We're going to pray. Let's call it for what it is. We're going to, we're going to worship. <laughs> we'll get to that. No. <laughs> In our worship, we are encouraged. Let's, we encourage one another. 
we, we may have our challenges. We may have our concerns for our families and for our culture and for the church and for Senate next year. But God invites us right now into his presence. He promises to bless and he will. In the Old Testament, Moses met with God in the tent and when he came out, his face glowed. That's us now. I'm going to be seeing all glowing faces today. In Christ, we glow in our encouragement. We enter heaven. We join the angels. We join that great cloud of witnesses from Hebrews 11. We join with him who is the author and the perfecter of our faith, Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. Come, let us draw near to God. Let us worship together as we see the day approaching, as we see the day of judgment, as we see the day of redemption coming, approaching. Then will Jesus Christ make all things new and sin will be gone and the battle will be over and we will see the author and our, the perfecter of our faith face to face. Come, let us worship. Be encouraged. Let's encourage one another and all God's people say, Amen. Please join me in a word of prayer. Gracious God, Heavenly Father, you are so good. You are the God of how much more? You started something in the ready in the Old Testament times. There was the temple, there was Moses, Melchizedek, there was temple worship, but now we worship in Jesus Christ and we are brought into your very, very presence. We see the, the Jacob's ladder, the angels coming down and the angels going up. The angels coming down to administer God's promises and blessings to us. And the prayers and praises of God's people, they go right up into the throne room of God and we behold them. We behold them. We are there. We are there in Christ. Gracious God, we need encouragement. Our families need it. Uh, the Abide Project needs it. Our denomination needs it. And so we pray, Father, that we may be encouraged. Accept our worship. May we focus on Jesus Christ, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Gracious God, we pray that we may all know him, have a vibrant, saving, covenantal relationship so we are married to our God. Come, Lord Jesus, make all things new. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <music>